At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Howdy, folks. This is Clinton for Red Dragon, the BHC. Thank you for listening to OK Talk. St. Patrick's Day. Or at least it's the Saturday after St. Patrick's Day. I still feel like it's St. Patrick's Day because we had the St. Patrick's Day parade today in Dallas. We've got a couple of different things going on, mainly because I'm culling some past segments of the show for another purpose. We wanted to share a couple of those from previous episodes with you, as well as just share another story or two. So... That's what you're going to get tonight on the program. We know that we're getting new people listening to the show all the time. And a couple of these segments were tales that were buried deep within other episodes. And Matt and I also have a new conversation for you this evening. And we hope you enjoy Obviously, if you do like what you're hearing, be sure to tell a friend, share it, share it, share it. Find us on Facebook, on Twitter at OK Talk Show. Send me an email, OKTalkPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for those of you who have been reaching out to the show. A lot of you know who you are, but uh, I want to say what up to Paul, what up Jarrah. What up, the man that praises the corn? And so many others. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just remember, if you have yet to do so, please stop by iTunes, leave us a rate, leave us a review. It really helps other people find the show. We're going to start tonight with maybe the greatest St. Patrick's Day story known to man. To me, it looked like a leprechaun to me. Who else seen the leprechaun up in the tree? Say yeah. Well, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, crowds are coming by the dozens to get an up-close view at what some say is a piece of Irish folk- folklore. Some people in the Crichton area of Mobile say a leprechaun has taken up residence in their neighborhood. A leprechaun. NBC 15's <laughs> Brian Johnson has more. Curiosity leads to large crowds in Mobile's Crichton community. Many of you bring binoculars, camcorders, even camera phones to take pictures. To me, it looked like a leprechaun to me. I got to do look up in the tree. Who else in the leprechaun? Say yeah! yeah! Eyewitnesses say the leprechaun only comes out at night. If you shine a light in its direction, it suddenly disappears. This amateur sketch resembles what many of you say the leprechaun looks like. Others find it hard to believe and have come up with their own theories and explanations for the image. My theory is it's casting a shadow from the other limb. Could be a crackhead that got hold to the wrong stuff and it told him to get up in a tree and play a leprechaun. We're going to get down to the bottom of this. Yes, stay on there, guy. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, man. This guy helping to direct traffic says he's prepared for his encounter with the leprechaun. He's suited up from head to toe. This water's all smells right here. This is a special leprechaun flute, which has been passed down from thousands of years ago from my great-great-grandfather who was Irish. I just came to help out. Others just came to get lucky in hopes a pot of gold may be buried under this tree. 
I'm gonna run a backhoe and uproot that tree. I wanna know where to go. I want to go. Give me the go. I want to go. This is Brian Johnson, NBC 15 News. It's the wonderful song. Sounds wonderful. Radio. And I stood and watched, and uh, from around behind a big tree, there was a black deal looking at me, and it had a peaked, pointed head. My goodness, I've seen so many that on Bigfoot, I can't even count them. I mean, it's beyond the point of infinity. Had you seen that Dallas and Wayne? Uh, no, no, I had not. Have you never? Have you ever seen those guys before? I so don't think so. You didn't see Wait, that. Did you watch that movie Shooting Bigfoot? Yes, they were on that, right? Those, right. That was those guys. Yeah. Which? That's the dumb one where you know they obviously. That's the one with Rick Dyer, right? Right. Yeah. The best part of that is the uh, live sound of drinks being poured. Got to figure out something to kill this pain. <laughs> There's some of the best big footery on tape in that movie, Sans Dadis Perry. Uh huh. Where they're just like out in a field, you know, and the yes. guys like just following him around, and he's like, "That's the one where he's putting out like cat food and stuff, right?" <laughs> on a, on a, yeah, he's like, on "How do you log? know? How do you know Bigfoot <laughs> comes and gets it?" And he's like, "He's Bigfoot." <laughs> And they like nothing he, else could be coming to get the cat food. <laughs> they like hear like they hear something across the field, and he's like doing his hands and his like turn yeah. around and point that way, and he does, you know, and nothing happens. And they're both like pointing and shaking their heads at him, and then the other, which I think he's Wayne. Wayne is the bigger one, and he's like, <laughs> I've watched that like two hundred times. I mean, it's the dumbest movie. A lot ever. of nonsense going on in that movie. Yeah. A lot of nonsense. But was that the intent of that? Was to to show the ridiculousness? Yeah. Because so, like, the, the people they chose. Right. So that film company, I remember listening to the Bigfoot show when that came out. Uh-huh. Because they were saying, this film company was saying that Rick Dyer has video footage of a Sasquatch outside of a tent. And have you ever seen that? It's like No, I've not seen his It's like a from inside of a tent and at first it's one of the best videos that I've ever seen cuz it's like he's looking through the window part of the tent. Right. And there's a Bigfoot standing there and it like turns and looks at him and he ducks down. Now, they found like the mask online and everything that like obviously it was Right. But before they even released it, or they released that like seven second video. And then that film company apparently then claimed that they were in a tent next to Dyer while that was while that was happening. And they were filming it the whole time when the guys on the Bigfoot show were looking into it. You know, Brian said that they had contacted the TRBC at the time before they were the NAWAC. That basically that was what it was. It was like they were contacting them. They wanted to do a documentary more about the people than right. So I mean, those Dallas and Wayne guys—they seem like they would have no idea if anyone was making fun of them. Yeah, they were. They were in it. Yeah, they were down. Yeah, and then the whole Biscardi crew. <laughs> Which there's another thing that's really funny in there where the way that he's talking to the people that are in his team, uh-huh. like one of them is an old man who's like an Indian or something. <laughs> and he's just talking down to him like he's Tonto, basically. <laughs> he's like, you shut up and do what I say. He's like, don't talk to me like that. He's like, I do whatever I want to do. But uh, no, I heard them talking about Dallas and Wayne in this like show 
So that's what the other day I just like Googled it. Yeah. Like, I was like, that's got to be those dudes. Cause the way he was talking about Dallas had three teeth and yeah. Yeah. They stand out. Oh, do they ever? I knew I've I'd, seen yeah. so many Bigfoots. It's beyond the point of infinity. <laughs> I can't even count. That's, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's a Dattis Perry quote. Right. The peaked, pointed head. <laughs> Again, people don't understand why I'm into this thing. That's why. It's, it's apparent. No, I, I, I think it's pretty apparent. Like, there are, you will not find characters like this um anywhere else no as far as i'm concerned no maybe maybe in the ufo world but i don't keep up with that close enough to yeah to really know but these guys because there's a there's a there's the combination of eccentric and like woodsman type character that gets blended together with these guys yeah where they're you know they're they're just almost hillbillies but they're out there. Oh, yeah. There's a real big <laughs> hillbilly factor. Yeah. And I have nothing against, again, no. I mean, I'm country boy. I, right. I don't you know? I don't mean that derogatory. I just mean, no. you know, country, it, country folks. I mean, I'm glad that people may not know it by listening to me. Right. But, I mean, I'm a country boy. Right. I grew I, up among those people myself, so. I just kicked the country out of my voice because I chose a career in radio. <laughs> Which I was thinking today, I have tapes of like my first time on the air when I was like yeah. 18. You sound like a little child. I was just thinking about how funny <laughs> it would be to listen to my accent then, you know, because it's got to be kicking. Yeah. And that made me think of, well, I told you I was watching House of Cards and they're talking about in season two about them doing an interview together. And the guy's like, I watched an interview of y'all from 1986, you know, and you have a really thick Texas accent then because, you know, she's from Dallas. Right. And that made me think of it that like, man, not in here, in there, though, there's cassette tapes, like cassette recorders where I could just pop in yeah. one of those tapes and roll on it, which I need to do anyway because... I need to I need to do that as well because I I've got a bunch of cassette tapes from college. When was your first on air? Um was it was it in college? I mean It it, it would have been in college. I mean this I did some stuff in high school, but uh it was all school related. So So you went to been. how long were you at Georgetown? George Washington. George Washington. Uh, right? I was there 4 years. Uh so 2000 to 2004. And that's in DC proper? Yeah, that's in the city. It's um you know it, it it runs from 24th Street to 17th Street. No, I'm sorry. Um, 19th Street. And then the white, you get to be near the White House grounds on 17th Street. So, I mean, you're you're in it. Were you on campus? Uh-huh. Yeah. I said three years in dorms and one year in a apartment, but that was just south of campus. I, th- I think still technically on, there were still some campus buildings down there. So. Was it a shithole? Was it like a Zoe Barnes apartment? <laughs> no, no, no. It was uh it was nice. I mean it, it was nice enough. You know, it was a two it was me and two other guys, um, two bedroom. I mean, it was like twenty one hundred dollars or something. I mean, something that would cost, you know, maybe a thousand down here was at least double, if not more, right up there. Uh, but it was, you know, a few a few blocks away from the mall. I mean, you're you're in it. Like you're you're in the middle of it. You're the State Department is really nearby. In fact, that was a real heady time. I was down there for 9-11, and that was a real, like, real heady time. I was the first person back into the radio station, and at that moment, I remember very clearly at that moment, um, (coughs) I was the quote-unquote entertainment reporter for the, so I would cover, like, the, you know, if there was a movie screening or something going on, or if the theater group did a show, I would cover that. Uh, but I saw so I was the first person in and then my news director showed up and there were reports of a of a car bomb going off at the State Department. And she said, well, why don't you go down to the State Department? I'm like, I said, fuck, no, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Screw that. I'm staying I, here. I'll get on the air. I'm on the entertainment beat. Yeah. Let I'm, me tell you, 
this is entertaining it, it right here. That, it was at that moment where I threw away any sort of journalistic credibility, and I said, for, I'm a college student. I'm not going anywhere. I'll get on the air, and we'll talk about what, what's going on, but I'm I'm not going anywhere. You want to cover my student debt for the rest of my <laughs> life? Maybe I'll walk out onto the street, but other than that. But that was a that was a uh, that was it was a really cool experience. You know, Georgetown is a is a cool campus, but it's up in Georgetown, and it's kind of away from the city. Uh, GW is right right in the middle of it. Like I said, you're near the White House, you're near the mall, you're near everything. My uh, the first time George Washington ever came onto my radar was because of the basketball player Yinka Dare. Mm-hmm. Which would have been right around your time. He was a little bit before. Okay. Uh, yeah. We had a guy. Um, but there. you know, it's March. And this is the time when you hear about random small schools. Right. And he G- was- GW actually, at the beginning of the season, GW had a really good shot at getting a, a good seed in the tournament. I think they have since squirreled that away. Uh, but uh, every now and then, like every four years or so, they'll make a run in the tournament. And, yeah. You know. I would imagine so. I mean, be a 14 seed or something. It seems like they would get inner city talent. You know that they have decent teams from time to time. We had a guy my my freshman year. His name was Sir Valiant Brown. No joke. His first name was Sir Valiant. I remember Sir Valiant, and uh, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I don't. I think he went on to play it in. Uh, uh, maybe Canada or something like that. The He's biggest... one of the guys that would have made like Norm's list of names because you know Norm <laughs> right. is such a draft nerd that during football season he always does right. the. You can pick a duke or a queen. <laughs> you can have a king and four Johnsons. You my, know, my finest moment was I want to say it was two thousand five, um, and there was a guy that that played for us who was just a monster. Like he was tall. He he'd throw down like monster dunks and stuff like that. Everybody loved him. His name was Pops Mensamansu. Okay. And everybody brought like the corn pops stuff, and whenever he'd throw down a dunk, people would throw the corn box up, you know, the corn pops up in the air. And so he, I think he was eligible for the draft. He didn't get drafted. And I remember sending an email. The, oh, the one and only time I've sent an email to Mark Cuban. I said, Mark, I'm a GW fan. Please take a chance on pops and they freaking draft they they picked him up i was gonna say they, did he not he did he played in the d league for a while and he played a few games uh you know for the mavs like i, I think maybe a couple of seasons I, okay i, I didn't want to i didn't want to get ahead of myself and i'm a huge mavs fan yeah but like obviously we had a pie pie jones but i was when you said pops i was like dude they had a pops yeah and it was kind of a like he was a huge Nigerian guy or whatever. Yeah, and his his and, and interesting story about him. His last name means whale killer. That's what Mensabansu means is whale killer. And apparently, like his grandfather speared a whale or something like that, and that and that became like a legend in Whoa. his in his you know village or whatever. That's awesome. And uh, so that's where the name. I don't remember if it was. I can't remember how far back. It, I think it was like a grandfather or something like that. But anyway, I was uh, in some small part. I thought I did that. I got pops. You got pa- pops drafted by the Mavs. Yeah, and I went and watched him. You know, when they when they had the Fort Worth team, I went and watched him. I guess they still do. Yeah. Um. Uh. I went and watched a couple of games of his, and I never got to see him play for the Mavs other than on TV. But it's really cool. I, one thing that you know that's funny that you say that because I was telling the draft and Dirk story uh-huh. with my first internet experience uh-huh. in '98, and. uh the Mavs have a really big history with random, I guess you would say, just like foreign bigs, you know? Yeah. And this year, you know, of course, they drafted the dude from India in the draft, which was one of the slyest things that Mark Cuban's ever done, just so he could basically corner the four billion people that sure. live in India. Yeah. <laughs> but the, what's his, I can't, I feel like his name is, it's like Salam Measury. That sounds right. That kid. Yeah. And the first time that he got in the game was against the Thunder. And like he immediately blocked Kevin Durant like against the glass and the place just went bananas. Because <laughs> you're looking at this guy who just looks like he has no business on an NBA court and he just was dominant. Yeah. Love that about basketball, you know, and 
I heard the hard line talking with him. And, you know, he's just like, I was wanting to go to the schools. And my coach was like, it doesn't matter what kind of grades you get. If you play basketball, you're not going to play soccer. You're too tall. All of these guys, like, that's what Dirk wanted to do. You know, Dirk right. wanted to play soccer. And his sister was a world-class handball player, which is crazy. Yeah. That, you know, over there they have handball. But Well, and, and uh, Nash was a really good soccer player. Yeah, but again, he's tiny. He, yeah, I mean, he, he could have played. Mold. He could have played pro soccer, but like, if you're I want to say he's even a better s- soccer player than he is a a basketball player, at least from his own admission. Like that was his number one. That may have been the case. Love that's a two time NBA MVP we're talking about. The right dude's there. legit, but I mean, that's him saying it. So I don't know. I don't know what you want to. So when so ninety eight, the Mavs draft Dirk, right, and. I come back from London and I go to school in Abilene and the start of my, I lived in one place my first year out there and then moved to that condo that I was speaking about with you earlier. And there was a dude that he, um, Abilene, because it's a Christian school, didn't have a philosophy department and there was a physics professor there who was in his 60s at the time yeah had been lobbying for Abilene Christian to have a philosophy program and 99 was the year that the philosophy program started at Abilene Christian so I was like first generation philosophy major well you know taker of class i got a minor you know they don't yeah. off, didn't offer it as a major at the time that professor by the way this family is from lubbock hardcore church of christ and when he was seven he told his church of christ preacher father that he wanted to be a theoretical physicist and they thought he had a demon in him <laughs> and this dude is like the classic absent-minded professor like the smartest person i've ever met but then like he would get talking and like back up and you know slam into the wall or something yeah but uh this dude that was in that class with me um he was sitting a couple of rows behind me we had one class together and like i guess i said something that cracked him up or whatever and it turns out he lived like across the pool in the condominium section from me and he was an abilinian and his name is david longbine so david was dating this girl in Dallas named Aaron. I can't remember her last name, but she was a trainer for the Mavericks. So every couple of weeks, he would come to Dallas, you know, and hang out with her. And he called me one night. He was a huge basketball fan, played high school basketball at Cooper. You know, and of course, I played ball, so we had that connection. And uh, he called me one night from her apartment, and he was like, dude, he was like, I'm over at Aaron's place right now. It's like Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki are here. (laughs) And he said that they came over. Nash was just like totally cool. Dirk just sat on the couch and all he did was laugh at everything Nash said. Like he hardly (laughs) knew English, you know. He just like sat in the corner and laughed at everything Nash said. And then this this is great. He said then... You know, we get a knock on the door, and it's Cedric Sabalos, and Cedric Sabalos is wearing a three-piece suit, and he's got a Bluetooth in, and this is early days of Bluetooth yeah. technology. He said Cedric Sabalos walked in, was like, "Hey, how's it going?" and was on the phone, sat down and talked on the phone for twenty minutes, and then got up and was like, "See y'all later," and left. <laughs> That's incredible, right? Cedric Sabalos, of course, who won the NBA slam dunk contest for dunking blindfolded. And it caused a big conspiracy because people said that they couldn't find the blindfold afterward because it really didn't blind him. The phantom blindfold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny that you say that about 9-11 and being at G-Dub. Yeah. Because I was at ACU that day and I was actually in... I was in a philosophy class. No, wait, because I was standing in the I was standing in the student center watching the news. And when the second plane hit 
and I walked in and I announced it wasn't a philosophy class. It was like a, it was, it was huge. So it must've been like a new Testament class or something, or like just a, it was a standard level class because yeah. it was, you know, 120 kids in there or whatever. I walked in, I opened the door and I was like a second plane just hit. And the whole place just was like, Bro, what? And people just started freaking, you know? Right, running for the hills. And, I mean, there were kids there that, you know, obviously family, people from New York there. Sure. Emily and Christian had a pretty wide base. But uh, that night I had, uh, like, a, we'd have, like, these upper-level philosophy classes. And a lot of them we'd, you know, take, like, They'd be, you know, a three-hour course or whatever, but we'd only do, like, one night where we'd have, like, an, you know, we'd be reading a book, and then we'd meet at, like, somebody's house or a restaurant or something, and it was really cool, like, small, like, 20 people. And the name of that class was uh, Providence and the Problem with Evil, Mm -hmm. and that was the course that we had that night, the night of 9-11. And my philosophy professor and mentor was like, we're still going to have the course. He's like, I don't see why this stops, you know, us from having it at all. And I was reading, I was reading Tolkien at the time. And the next day I went to like the dentist or the doctor or whatever. And I was sitting in the lobby and no, 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 excuse me. That night, I was picking somebody else up to go to that philosophy class, and I had that book in the back of my car, and the dude got in, and he was like, whoa, this is kind of weird, and it was the second book in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Yeah. and the next day, I was at the doctor, and somebody was like, they've already written a book about it? (laughs) No, jackass. No, I'm sorry. No. That was a weird day up there i feel like i could probably talk for a long time on it i don't know if we want to get into that now but uh maybe we can broach that later but i remember specific parts of that day pretty pretty clearly yeah i can't imagine who you know you were you're in the center of it and that's really funny because abilene you know huge air force base out there Mm -hmm. and i remember like that week, but we heard the noise and like all those bombers left from, yeah, it's not Dulles, it's whatever the name of the Air Force Base is that's out there. And basically, it, it, it was like a scene out of Pearl Harbor where, you know, they're looking up when the Japanese are flying in and it's just like all these planes. Yeah. It was like that. I mean... That's one of the places where they store, you know. Right, they're all moving out. Warheads, basically. I mean, the missile silos is a place where, like, you could go hang out. Yeah. If you're in West Texas and you want to do something dangerous, you know, there's (laughs) abandoned missile silos in the desert that, you know, you can open and go down and they just go forever. Yeah. Which is creepy. Some urban exploration. (laughs) If you're up for it. But, uh. Yeah, I mean, that. I remember it. that was like one of those, like just the most surreal moment when there was just like so many planes flying overhead that like you couldn't hear yourself think. Yeah. And just as far as you could see. Just... Well, and then the opposite was true up there. Oh, I guess everywhere. I mean, they had, a, I think, a nationwide ground stoppage. Right. So, so yeah, was... the only thing that was in the air was military. Yeah. And otherwise, it was completely quiet. Right. I remember we were... um I was coming out of a a political science class, I think it was, and it was on 21st Street, which is not a major thoroughfare in D.C. There's 23rd, which runs through campus, which which goes down to the circle around the um, Lincoln Memorial and and you know heads out of, out across the bridge into Alexandria, but uh, or not Alexandria, but into Arlington. Uh, but twenty uh, first is a couple blocks over, and it's just like a little city street, like two lanes, and there's hardly ever any traffic on it, or if there is, it's it's very sparse. And I remember walking out of class, and it was it had to have been 
I don't know, a little after nine o'clock, I guess. And uh, that road was packed, like people just trying to find any way possible to get out of town. And it was packed. Like I looked to the left as far as I could see, there were cars. Looked to the right as far as I could see, and there were cars up north. And there was a, uh, like a maintenance truck for the college parked up on the sidewalk. It's like it looked like it just like swerved off the road and got up on the sidewalk, and they had the doors open and the radio was on, and that's where you know I heard everything that was going on was on the radio. And then I think 11 o'clock came and I didn't know what else to do. So my other class was in the same building. So I just went back into class and they eventually canceled everything. And that's when I headed down to the, to the uh, student center, but that was a weird, that was a weird day. And I remember going in and then coming back, you know, I was inside for maybe 20 minutes coming back out. And then I guess they had blocked off the roads or something because the whole place was completely dead. Like there were no cars on the road hardly any people out or people just wandering around it was very walking dead it was season one i mean i had friends that walked across there were no cars anywhere and i had friends that just walked in the middle of the street all the way down across the bridge across the potomac and towards the pentagon and there was you know like there was nobody out on the on the road and uh you know, and even even then, hearing what had happened, I think there were reports of other other planes being in the air, and you were walking around with your head on a swivel. <coughs> but um, you know, obviously, nothing else ever happened that day. And then for the, I don't know, a month, month and a half afterwards, there were armed, they're like Humvees parked on campus with, you know, machine guns on the back and three or four dudes on them just hanging out waiting for something to go down. It was a really weird time to be living up there. I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you're listening to OK Talk. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your listenership. of hog hunting in Collier County leads a Florida man into an encounter with what locals call the skunk ape. Dan Jackson says he had just come upon a group of hogs and tracked them to a large grass field surrounded by swamp when he saw what he thought was a bear about the length of a football field ahead of him. Jackson says he approached the bear carefully, carrying a shotgun, and when he got to within about 20 yards, the beast rose up on two legs and turned to look at him. That's when Jackson says he realized it wasn't a bear, standing about seven feet tall with what looked like a crest on its head. He says after about 10 seconds, the creature walked into the swamp, leaving behind the smell of sulfur and rotten eggs. Jackson says he's been back and has only seen fleeting evidence of the skunk ape, but quote, always believe he is out there. We don't really talk to each other so that we don't ruin any of this <laughs> gold, quote unquote. Right. We gotta um, keep it as unspoiled as possible. Right, but I sent you that thing about the five most deadly cults yes. in United States history. And you immediately shot back with a dude. Did you read that Texas Monthly article? That's a wild. Article. That is not something I remember when that happened and so hearing it was about 1989 it. when he disappeared. Mm-hmm. Mark Kilroy. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I mean, I was young at the time, but I, I do remember hearing about about that stuff while on spring break at Padre. Because that was around the time that we were going down. We we took family trips down to Padre. Did you? Uh, quite often, I I I love it down there. It's it's a very cool place. This this story makes it not so cool. Yeah, for those who who are actually listening to this program at the moment, Mark Kilroy, a college student, disappeared seemingly into nowhere in Matamoros, Mexico, mm-hmm. which is the the border city to South Padre. And South, I mean, if people aren't familiar, South Padre is at the if you draw the little curve on Texas, South Padres at the very, very tip uh, down at the border. I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard of it for spring break, which is that's what, why he was down there. Back in those days, 
you could just walk right across the border. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe they charged you... Well, according to... A but, quarter to get back or something like that, but... But I thought the border was wide open, according to the <laughs> to, to the people that were talking about wanting to be in the White House. I thought it was a free run. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's what you would think. Mm-hmm. It certainly was back in those days. I mean, even we... I don't think I ever crossed there, but I certainly have been to Del Rio and crossed and El Paso and crossed into Juarez plenty of times but uh that was a very popular thing for people to do back then was to go down to padre and then go over to matamoros and raise hell this young college student found his way into the hands of a santerian cult <laughs> that took him to a a family farm and horrific i mean so so evil that it sounds made up it sounds like something that you that didn't actually happen right and that you tell kids like oh the satanists (laughs) the satanic cult is gonna get you yeah that was the uh they said that that kind of led to the satanic panic which i love that as a band name (laughs) satanic panic of the 80s Mm mm-hmm but how's that the case if this was 1989 that that happened? I yeah. Mean, it it seems like it was kind of swirling around fuel for the fire for something that was already reported yeah. to be something that you needed to be aware of. But yeah, so they straight up human sacrifice to the devil. I mean, this was I mean, this was they had they drew their connections back to the Aztecs mm-hmm. and that type of culture, like sacrificing people, cutting out hearts. Mm hmm drinking blood horrifying yeah and the thing that struck me the most reading that and i would suggest it what the original article came from i think io9 is what because they put together a lot of true crime stuff but that that article in particular about that was from texas monthly Mm -hmm. i'm sure if you just look up matamoros maybe we'll put it on the facebook page maybe what's our facebook facebook.com slash okay talk show give us a like leave us a comment please so yeah. they would do these sacrifices, and they believed that it would... I guess they were ties to the... There must have been ties to drugs and the cartels or yeah, of, they were, some sort. They like, were a family that had been moving mainly pot for yeah. a long time, and then you know some of that had dr- dried up and faction splintered, and then all of a sudden they run into some lunatic at a club one night who offers to be there priest right and protect the family and it seemed like that dude just got off on figuring out the more insane things that he could make these people do right and they got to the point where they would hold these sacrifices and they would all drink from the the stew that was made with animal and animal human. and human and blood, blood. and whatever else and they they would think that it would make them invincible to bullets. Mm-hmm. To the point where when the police showed up, they're like, "Shoot me, see what happens." <laughs> exactly. And there's just this weird nonchalance where they where they were like, yeah, "Yeah, the bodies are buried over there by the fence. Here's our murder shed, complete with black candles." I mean, it's 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 cartoonish. It, there's black candles and feathers and whatever else is going on in there. Like actual cauldrons? <laughs> yeah. What was crazy is when they were saying that they were looking for Mark Kilroy that uh, one of the tips that police got was from a psychic who said that they had a dream that they saw his body lying next to a witch's cauldron, mm-hmm. which was exactly what they found in that murder shed that they had where the walls were painted red and black and... yeah. I mean, can you imagine the smell on that property in general? Yeah. This was not, and this was not just one American. They had 15 people that they pulled out of there, I think is what they said. It seems like it may have even been higher than that, but not by much. Maybe that's just all that they knew of. Right, or that they could find. They blessed that place and burned it down. And there was another part that I that I liked where it was it showed the difference between the Mexican authorities and the U.S. authorities, because 
the federalities were like we're not messing with this <laughs> like bringing a bringing a priest yeah like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> like we need to we need to do some serious mm-hmm. yeah they're ready to swoop Sp- in spiritual because they get a tip that this is where this where the kid is and they're like oh <laughs> these people are worshiping the devil yeah but again it's like a mixture of that Haitian voodoo Santeria mm-hmm. which is animal sacrifice I didn't even, I didn't even get down to, to reading some of the other some of the other ones oh, that one will set you back like a day just thinking about <laughs> yeah. how horrific and how many people you know I mean especially us being here that you knew who went to Padre and got hammered and walked into Matamoras sure I mean the idea of again Matamoras is the kind of place where people disappear all the time just not necessarily high tone white kids from that are just in college yeah well I mean Mexico in general yeah you don't pull that kid out because that's one of the ways that you know you get the heat brought on you you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to steal somebody that is going to be missed. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're going with the whole human sacrifice <laughs> thing, you're going to want to get you a person that's an unknown, right? Right. I mean, all through college, even high school, that going to Padre and... It was no big thing? No. It was no big thing. And I was, you know, I was younger back in that in that time. But like I said, we would go on family trips down to... Or you know, out to El Paso or Del Rio. I forget the name of the town that's across the border from Del Rio, but we would just go across all the time, and we'd do it during the daytime. Mm-hmm. So I guess that may have made a difference. I was not one of two guys or something like that wandering across and getting into the bars. So we were mostly sticking to the little shops and things like that. But crazy to think that there were people out there snatching people up. <laughs> Louisiana, Missouri is a sleepy Mississippi River town, about 25 miles southeast of Hannibal. But 26 years ago this month, the town gained national attention as documented reports of a wild and woolly man-like creature the Midwest's answer to Bigfoot began to surface. The press jocularly dubbed the elusive and rank-smelling critter Momo, or Missouri Monster. The first sighting was on the afternoon of July 11, 1972. The Harrison boys, Terry, aged eight, and Wally, aged five, were playing near their home at the base of Marsoff Hill, a ridge that runs the length of the town. At some point, Terry felt an unease. He glanced up and saw something staring at him. It was big, hulking, and ominous. Its face was obscured by a mat of hair, and Terry screamed. In the house, his 15-year-old sister Doris, having heard the screams, ran to the window. It was right by the trees, she would later tell reporters. Six or seven feet tall, black and hairy, it stood like a man, but it didn't look like one to me. Now this was 1972, and true, there were hippies roaming the forest. And at times, there would be seen lumbering through town some scruffy barge hand who might have prompted a double take. But it seemed that this was different, a new species. Both Terry and Doris said the creature seemed to have no neck, and it was carrying under its arm what looked like a dead dog covered in blood. Edgar Harrison came home from work and found no monster, but near the tree where his excited children said the thing had stood, he found faint footprints in the dust and black hairs stuck to some twigs. Harrison tried to reassure them that what they had seen was probably a hobo, who was by now long gone from the area. Harrison was a deacon in the Pentecostal church, and that Friday, July 14th, there was a prayer meeting at his home. Later, as the group socialized on the porch, they heard a series of growls and shrieks coming from the water reservoir atop Marsoff Hill. The harrowing sound got louder and louder. 
The neighbors, too, came out to see what manner of beast was making such a racket. In a panic, they one and all fled. According to the Louisiana Press-Journal, by the time police arrived on the scene, all was quiet once more. Others began seeing Momo. About five the next morning, Louisiana resident Pat Howard saw a man-like creature cross the road near Marsoff Hill. He described it only as a dark object, running like a man. On the river road that runs northward out of town, Ellis Miner, then 63, sat alone in front of his cabin. Around 10 p.m., his bird dog began to growl. Miner got his big flashlight and shined it out toward the road. It was standing there. I couldn't see its eyes or its face. It had all hair down to about his hind parts. And as soon as I threw the light on it, it whirled and took off that away. On July 19th, Louisiana Police Chief Shelby Ward organized a 20-man posse to search Mars Off Hill. Spread out with walkie-talkies, they combed the ridge from end to end. On one of the many paths, they saw that an old dump had been recently disturbed. They also discovered two disinterred dog graves with bones scattered about. It was getting weirder and weirder. The Harrison home had become a staging area for Momo seekers. Edgar took Richard Crow from Chicago's Irish Times up on Marsoff Hill. Crow would write later, As we walked up the path, we found a set of tracks. They looked like large human footprints. Even with the heel impression incomplete, it measured 10 inches long and 5 inches wide. There had been no rain for 10 days, and we estimated that more than 200 pounds of pressure would have been necessary to make the prints in the hard soil. And of course, who in Missouri would weigh 200 pounds? Reporters weren't the only outside investigators converging on the town. Hayden Hughes and Daniel Garcia of the International Unidentified Flying Objects Bureau in Oklahoma City arrived and camped out in Harrison's backyard. They collected statements from witnesses, made plaster cast of at least two tracks. Hughes theorized that the monster was a giant hairy biped left by a UFO. He said the descriptions matched some 300 other sightings he had collected. Meanwhile, there were Momo sightings up and down the Mississippi, from St. Charles County to Hannibal. A DJ on a country music station in nearby Bowling Green recorded a song, Momo the Missouri Monster. And that did more to fuel the legend than anything else. For several years after the scare, the town of Louisiana held Momo Days with the residents walking around wearing wigs with the tresses in the front. But the bottom line is, he's still out there, stealing our horses, stealing our dogs, just for a snack, mind you, and still smelling as funky as the river itself. Last episode when I was talking about my friends that we watched the VHS tape with, the secrets and mysteries of the unknown, um, that same little crew, my buddy, we were in the same grade or whatever, but he was like that weird thing where he's like a whole year older than you, but it's not because he's been held back. It's like, yeah, just had a weird birthday or something. Yeah. And anyway, he was the first one of us to get uh, his driver's license and he... <laughs> He uh, he was given a 1982 blue Datsun pickup truck. Nice. And the three of us, Brandon would of course always be driving. And the radio situation in this car was so bad that it was a AM radio that was like stuck in there, but you could pull it out. There were coins inserted in as the dials. <laughs> And then we had an actual box speaker from a house, uh-huh. like a house speaker <laughs> that we sat between the two seats. And that's what Chris sat on being the smallest, you know, and it was obviously a stick. And we did bits with this car. We went and bought like at one point I bought like a bowling trophy at the dollar store or something. Uh-huh. It was just like number one bowler, like the 
biggest piece of crap you can imagine. And we duct taped it to the hood <laughs> as his uh, hood ornament, which was awesome. I don't know how this stuff starts, where you hear about places that are creepy, but we had heard that there was a, a cemetery that was supposedly, not that it was haunted or anything, but that there was a lot of cult activity out there. Yeah, that was also a big story. And you know, when we were kids, cults, they scared the crap out of our parents with the devil worship stuff, but it scared us even more, you know, especially the isolated community nature of you know the deep wood and the fact that you know you could walk in to the woods somewhere and there'd be people in robes in a circle sacrificing cats or whatever but when you get to a certain age then while it may still be kind of spooky you still kind of want to get that adrenaline rush again if you're not we weren't doing pcp so we had to get our high from somewhere But uh, we found out about this place, and we drove out there one Sunday afternoon. We all went to church together. And most times after church and after we did the whole, all of us going out to eat with the fams and everything, we would participate in running around causing mayhem. And one afternoon, we decided that that's where we were going to go, to this cemetery. And it seemed like it was, I don't know, 20 minutes maybe from town. And how, who told us to go there and how we got there, I don't know, but we did approach it. But basically, it was a, you know, farm to market road, farm to market road, and then a farm to market road that dead ended into this cemetery. This was in the daytime? This is daytime. It's a Sunday afternoon, crisp fall day. And so we're driving out there and when we were on the actual road, like as we kept driving, kept driving, the the trees began to overhang over the road, and it kind of created that tunnel, which during the daytime in the you know, in the heavy forested areas can be pretty dark. You know, there's a pretty serious canopy and kind of gives you that tunnel vision again and the road gets progressively worse to the point where then it's just a dirt road and you can come around this little corner little bend and there's a pretty steep hill and at the top of this the first thing that we can see is like a pavilion up there like an old pavilion but the cemetery is straight up on the top of this hill we drive as far as we can and right there like where you would technically be entering this old timey cemetery there was a big cable across the road like almost like a cattle guard kind of thing you know like two but it was basically like two cement poles and they had like a good thick metal cable that was hooked from one to the other so that whoops so that I think I just dumped us (laughs) There's a big metal cable hooked from one pole to the other so that you couldn't drive across there. And, of course, we pull up and, you know, Brandon's like, the greatest thing about Brandon was he was all about it until it came time to be there. And then he became began the biggest chicken of all time, you know. And he's like, well, there's a cable here. We can't go any further. And I'm like, cable here. Come on, man. So I get out, take the cable off, and we drive up. And maybe a hundred yards, a dirt road up to the top of this hill. And it's surrounded by a chain link fence. And as we pull up, then we can tell that it's how old it's how old it is, is that the pavilion is wood, probably like seven or eight box seats, like old school church benches outside. Yeah. But I mean, they're kicked over, you know, they're tore up. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like anybody's been there. And I'm, we pull up and I'm like, okay, let's, and Brandon and Chris are looking at me like they don't want any part of it. I'm like, come on, man. So I get out and I actually think that the chain link gate was closed. So I open that, you know, and I walk around and I'm looking at the first few graves that are kind of right around there. This hill on top of which the cemetery sat was legitimately a hill like it sloped off to the edge 
like to the back. So as I'm kind of walking around looking at the graves or whatever, I noticed that the like I, I remember seeing two of these graves that were like children's graves, like under the age of five. And there's like a string of them and they're all the same last name. Mm. And again, I'm not talking about like Civil War era stone, but you know, I don't know, maybe 30s, 40s around in that time frame. And as I'm just kind of walking and looking at the ground, as I'm walking towards the back of the slope, you can see where there's clearly been a disturbance back there. There's mounds of dirt. There's little like stick crosses, like branches from a tree that have been broken off. Like Blair Witch type stuff? Yeah. And as I'm seeing this, I get this really, like obviously it's creepy, but I get this really weird feeling. And I raise my head and probably 20, 30 yards kind of down the slope on the other side of it. I, I really honestly, I think that the forest had come in on the fence back there. So there, I, I don't remember seeing the chain link fence that would be the back of the cemetery, just woods, you know? Yeah. The first thing that I saw was silver and that's why it stood out to me. There is a branch that's being held back and there's a lady looking at me and she's like white hair, all around her face, real thin looking in her face. And I can really just see her white hair. And she had like one of those like shimmery spacesuit type looking shirts on. It's probably a blouse or whatever, but I can only see head to mid chest. And I, I looked her right in the eye. I turned around and I just <laughs> started running to the truck and I'm like, go, go, go. And Brandon and Chris are looking at me like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm chugging. I jump in the truck. And of course, Brandon's trying to get the little piece. We call that we call that truck Little D. <laughs> little D. <laughs> go, go. And they're like, what, what? And I'm just like, go, just go. <laughs> so he gets it going and we, you know, cloud of dust down the hill. And he crosses the barrier and stops the freaking truck and he's like get out and close the put the cable back put the cable back i'm like put the cable back I'm like, he's like put the cable back man put the cable back so i get out in a in a rush yeah and i run over to that pole bend down pick up the cable and as i'm going to hook it <laughs> i actually put the cable on the hook and so the way that this it was like this dirt road came to the entrance of the cemetery, but it also like broke off. Like maybe you could drive around it mm -hmm. that I don't know if again, I don't know what was going on there. I hooked this cable to this hole and I look up and maybe 10, 12 feet away from me is an old man who is super thin, really tall, super pale white, and he's wearing like overalls that I want to say are like camouflage or they were just brown and dirty. But the kicker is he's holding like a scythe. What? He doesn't say anything. He's just staring at me, and I am locked in a gaze with this dude. Again, for the longest time, I called it a sickle, but that's, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like, Children of the Corn style, right? Like the Grim Reaper. The Grim Reaper <laughs> thing, yeah. And I'm looking right at him, and I mean, he's solid, you know, I'm not looking at an apparition. He's a real person, as far as I can tell. And I'm, like, hypnotized or whatever because the next thing I hear is Clack! from the truck. Did they and see it him? Break, yeah, breaks me out of my haze. And the looks on both of their faces as I jumped into the truck 
and we're all like looking back and the dust from the road covers him up and we did not go back good grief so i don't know if it was like a family cemetery and maybe these old people live there i can see him clear as day that that lady the way that she was peering at me through those woods and no expression on either one of their faces just the look of like what the hell are you doing here but no recognition that you're looking at me no just stone cold they didn't move whenever you locked eyes with them they just no neither one of I, I didn't see either one of them move I didn't see this guy walk up on me he was just there boom for all you know he could have been there the whole time I didn't see him when I unhooked the cable but when I hooked it back he was there so yeah you know <laughs> woods of east texas right that's a true story too and both of those dudes would corroborate it it certainly put where you go what you do what you get into in focus yeah i again that's the for all you know for all likelihood you weren't seeing ghosts that day but that's almost even more terrifying yeah yeah it's spooky I didn't realize then that I was a giant pole with a magnet on the top of it but again we put ourselves in that situation that's one of those places where you hear oh let's go out to the spooky thing yeah and then we get there you know for all I know I'm glad that we escaped I mean I'm sure he was just clearing brush sure let's just he was just clearing brush with the dude had a scythe in his hand hmm I need a drink. (laughs) That's the first time I've talked about that in quite a while. And we did not plan on that, folks. It's experimental radio at its finest. (laughs) My name is Dale Hawkins. And I want to dedicate this song... To the three cities that I had the pleasure of recording this tune in. Give a listen and you'll hear them. Who else in the love car say yeah? yeah! I wanna know where to go. I 
I, I wanna know where to go. Give me the go. I, I wanna know where to go.